Hey guys, Salem Bray here. Welcome to your Friday, and welcome to yet another installment of the Hellraiser Legacy as we explore it, both inside and out, only on Salem Bray's Straight Jacket Cafe. Episode of Salem Grace Street Jacket Cafe as we continue our journey through Leviathan's Labyrinth to explore the Hellraiser legacy. A legacy that has been as much a part of our lives as baseball has been for many generations. Yeah, it's Pinhead would probably play baseball with human heads. So, raise your lament configurations to Clive Barker as he has given us something to believe in. That good movies can still exist in that. The realms of the forbidden are something to indulge ourselves in. Please, get comfortable. Grab on to the nearest chain and hold on tight. And now, here is your host, Salem Gray. to get another edition of Salem Grace Straight Jacket Cafe. I, of course, am Salem, and we've been covering the Hellraiser Legacy, and I think that it's quite the appropriate thing, especially given Halloween coming up. And I want to thank all those who have listened so far. Uh, the listens have been rather few, but I'm hoping all that will turn around rather soon. So, um... We, uh, last time we covered the Cenobites A through C, and now we're going to cover D through T according to the uh, hellraiser.fandom.wiki, and of course you can go check that out uh, at hellraiser.fandom.wiki. And so everything Hellraiser there, from movies to comics to books to a uh, rundown of all the humans, the characters, uh, the Cenobites, and the demons that were uh, included in the franchise, uh, just everything. So this list is rather uh, short, to be honest. This covers the mostly the Cenobites found in the movies, and um, a few surprising uh, 
Cenobites actually are listed. So, of course, uh, starting with number one, we have Deep Throat. Now, this was once a beautiful uh, woman before she was allured by the, uh, or seduced by the alluring nature of the puzzle box. And she has rather a interesting history. Now, this uh, Deep Throat, or Open Slash Deep Throat, uh, is the one that appears through all the, uh, uh, through the first and the second Hellraiser movies uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. The female Cenobite, the one with the wires through her cheeks, and the Open Throat, therefore, uh, Open Slash Deep Throat. So, basically, she used to be a none, really. Um, as I scroll down here, her name was Sister Nicoletta, and she was a nun whose devotion to the church waned as the seeds of lust and wanting grew secretly within her. Soon it was all she desired to the point of obsession. One day, a man looking for a place to stay gave her a gift of a Marchand box after sensing her desires. It has been said that once she opened the box, the Grillard Cenobite came and began her transformation as per Barbie uh, Wilder Willed story in the Hellbound Heart. He used each of her holes and finally took her down. And that's a pretty, pretty interesting thing. Uh, all of her holes and some immature people might snicker at that. But yes, it means exactly what it says. So, they say that her name is unmentionable. The horrid name, the High Priestess of Hell. Uh, the horrid name, like her actions, is so vile that forever must remain unspoken. Those unfortunate enough to have discovered her true name have never returned to utter it. Therefore, she is referred to as merely open or deep throat. So, she is a fierce virgin demon in the Order of the Gash with a heart of tar so black that is incapable of love and sympathy. Incredibly violent, she is all but uncontrollable, even by Pinhead. Uh, Left-handed, impatient, and restlessly cruel, she wields sharp razors, of both steel and tongue. To know her is to suffer the full tortures of hell for eternity. So, she remains one of the most elusive of the a far cry from her sister, Abigor, which we covered last episode, uh, the extrovert, preferring to wield her power with the subtle grace that few in hell could imagine. She is a high priestess of hell, symbol of the moon, of water, and of the power of like all Cenobites, she is clad in black leather and uh, is mutilated. She is shaped bald with a nail piercing horizontally through her nose. And you can see it in the illustration under her name in the Hellraiser wiki. And so um, there is a wire uh, jots out symmetrically symmetrically from both cheeks. 
arcing downward before it branches into three smaller segments on each side. And those smaller wire segments pull back the edges of a sharp incision in her throat, revealing a hideous gash, causing her to have a whispery voice. So in the Hellbound Heart novella, she is the only Cenobite whose gender is discernible. As you recall, uh, there are, uh, as I covered before, that um, Hellraiser, uh, the reboot, Pinhead is going to be played by uh, Jamie Clayton. So, originally there was no gender to the lead Cenobite, which is Pinhead now. As we've come to know, has been played by Doug Bradley throughout time. We'll get to that. <laughs> but her mutilations are described uh, as follows. It was the fourth Cenobite, the one that had never spoken nor shown his face. Not a he nor saw, but now saw, but she. The hood it had worn had been discarded, as had the robes. The woman beneath the gray yet gleaming, her lips bloody, her legs uh, parted so that the elaborate sacrification of her pubis was displayed. She sat on a pile of rotting human heads and smiled in velvet. Yeah, that's definitely someone you want to take home from her, I guess. So, in the sequel four of the wires holding her throat open have been removed, leaving just one frame. And when she is killed at the end of the second Hellraiser film, which reverts back to her original form, revealing that she had once been a pretty brunette woman, and yes, indeed, uh, very pretty as a matter of fact. So, uh, in the films, uh, Hellraiser, the original Hellraiser, as you will recall, uh, she arrived with Pinhead and Chatterer after Kirsty solved the box. She was sent back to hell when Kirsty solved the box yet again. So, uh, you'll recall, um, she was at the stairs and said, Are you leaving us so soon, are you? And had that book that she was dragging across the wall. So, in the second Hellraiser, uh, she returned. And appearing with the other Cenobites when Kirstie and Julia entered, uh, held through the puzzle box. Before, quote-unquote, experiencing her flesh, they allow Kirstie to wander around for a while. When Kirstie encounters them again, she shows Pinhead a picture of his human form, reminding him and the others that they have not always been Cenobites. And I guess that kind of gets lost in translation over time, or lost in their minds over time. It becomes forgotten. So, open slash deep throat, and the others are later sealed in the Pillar of Souls by Dr. Jannard, who we'll also get into very shortly. Uh, so, over 20 years after death, it is revealed in the comic, Clive Barker's Hellraiser Pursuit of the Flesh Bar 1 that opened deep throat, and Chatterer were resurrected by Pinhead. Uh, so, Open Deep Throat was portrayed by two different actresses, which you may not know. In the original Hellraiser movie, she was portrayed by Grace Kirby, and in the second movie, she is portrayed by Barbie Wilde. 
W-I-L-D. And so, yeah, she was quite the beautiful, beautiful woman. Uh, in the books, uh, The Help Out Heart, Voices of the Damned, short stories by Barbie Quilt. Uh, the Cilicium Trilogy by Barker's Hellraiser numbers 1 through 7, 10, 13 through 20 comic series. Uh, Clyde Barker's Hellraiser and the Dark Watch numbers 1 through 2 and 4 through 12 comic series. Also, the comic series Clyde Barker's Hellraiser BCRE numbers 1 through 6 and Clyde Barker's Hellraiser number 2 through 3, 6, 8, and 16. And so, hearing in a lot of comics, and I still have yet to look these up and try to actually grab some of these for my collection. Uh, I want to start collecting the works of some of the great authors of the past, like Lovecraft and Crowley, etc., as well as Stephen King, Clyde Barker, and so on and so forth. Um, I do have the uh, William Blatty uh, book for The Exorcist. Uh, so Deep Throat also appears in Dead by Daylight as he's female cinnabite with a nail through her nose. And who has a metal half circle piercing her cheeks. From the half circle comes a wire uh, with hooks which open the wound on her neck, which we have already covered. So her gender is basically a female cenobite. She worships Leviathan. She has hazel eyes and no hair. She's cue ball status. So, bald is beautiful, and all that, so. Uh, next we have the Doctor, and the majority of these I didn't have to research, because I do remember these from the films. So, Doctor, the Doctor Cenobite, of course, comes from Hellraiser 2. Dr. Chenard, the, uh, actually Dr. Philip Chenard, uh, appears in Hellraiser uh, 2, Hellbound. So, the Doctor was a malevolent Cenobite that served as a willing servant of Leviathan, the Lord of Hell. As a human, Dr. Philip Chenard was co-founder of the famed Chenard Institute. He spent a lifetime trying to unlock damaged minds, when in truth his own mind was the most damaged of all. Mind or other. Yet quite common. He became obsessed with his collection and documentation of the puzzle boxes that had such history attached to them. So, using the wisdom he gained, he used a mental patient, um, I think it's Mr. Browning, I think, um, to manipulate the box on top of the mattress that Julia was murdered to bring her back to life. Now, in this particular instance, uh, the way Frank was brought back to life, uh, was by his brother's blood that spilled on the floor away, gashed against a nail, moving a mattress that resurrected Frank. Same uh, principle with uh, Julia in this manner. She was basically inside the mattress, so the blood from the mental patient, as he actually started to slice on himself with a giant razor, uh, saying, get them off me, and there were maggots crawling all over his skin. Of course, he was hallucinating. 
So basically with his blood, Julia came back to life and he got a huge surprise trying to give away and was soon, uh, well, dead. And so Julia was collecting skin from him as well as others, just as Frank did, so that she could be back to a human form, rather than just a, a red gleaming mass of muscles. So, um, but anyway, so the doctor continues to feed Julia until she is regenerated. So Dr. Tenard uh, takes a young, mute girl from the Institute, Tiffany, who, by the way, I think more, to solve the puzzle box. And once solved, the box summons the Cenobites and opens a gateway to a giant labyrinth, which we see the labyrinth of uh, Leviathan in this film in extreme detail. So, Chenard is led by Julia into a Cenobite machine, basically tricked, and uh, Leviathan, the Lord of the Labyrinth, she actually expresses her undying devotion to Leviathan. Well, he says, oh my god, and she says, no, this is my god, and you see Leviathan in the center of the Labyrinth. As I recall, it looked like a metal diamond rotating above, and so that was Leviathan, apparently. So, um, Lord of the Labyrinth gave him his rebirth and obliged him to execute all of his putrid fantasies. That was very descriptive and appropriate. So basically, the history of uh, Dr. Philip Chenard. So as a young boy, Philip Chenard found out that he had a certain uh, bloodlust as he found himself mutilating a small animal which he killed. This form of animal abuse in childhood is a common trait among serial killers and an early indicator of a psychopathy. This would set the wheels in motion for future events. So quite the backstory on that. So as a start to his journey into the abyss inspired by his dark past, Chenard became a celebrated neurologist and co-founder of the famed Institute for the Mentally Unstable called the Chenard Institute. He spent a lifetime trying to unlock damaged minds, when in truth, his own mind was the most damaged of all. And of course, I've already covered all these. Uh, the obsession with the puzzle boxes. Malefic devices that could supposedly open the pathway to hell, and much of the history that was attached uh, to these dark relics. And for years, Chenard secretly experimented and abused the mentally unstable help to unlock the secrets to hell. That's quite appropriate given his psychopathy and stuff. And uh, actually, it's shown in a short, uh, kind of like a sequence of things. Uh, when he realizes uh, what he's done, it says, Help me. And then shortly before, he's pushed into the chamber to transform from human to Cenobite. You see him with a scalpel standing over something of a bloody mass in a red room, and that is him mutilating the animal, which he is killed. So, in Hellraiser 2, uh, still haunted by the terrible experience and visions of unspeakable horror that destroyed her family, Kirsty Cotton has been admitted to the Chenard Institute. This comes after the death of her father, 
as well as uh, her boyfriend Steve she uh, had uh, in the film. He is... He does not appear in the film. But yet, it's told that they sent him up hours ago before she woke up. So, Kersey has been admitted to the Chenard Institute, and so uh, Dr. Philip Chenard is a neurologist and psychiatrist. That's his official title. So, Kyle McRae, uh, here's Kersey's account of the events depicted in the first Hellraiser film and pleads with them to destroy the bloody mattress her murderous stepmother, Julia Cotton, died upon. Despite her frantic urging, McRae is the only one who seems to believe in Kirsty. And so, that's kind of an interesting deal, because he, once he finds out that it's all true, then he's very intent on helping her. So later, it is revealed that the obsessive Dr. Chenard has been searching for the lumbar configuration for years. He also keeps several mentally disturbed patients locked in the maintenance level of the hospital. These are the uh, patients from what I saw in the film that were very uh, much disturbed above all else. Uh, one guy with a crucifix in a pad room, you know, like just kind of nervously, you know, trying to ward off the uh, evil spirits they supposedly see in the lab. So, basically, uh, suspicious of Chenard's intentions, the doctor's assistant, Kyle, sneaks into the house and discovers Chenard's obsession with the secrets of hell, including a collection of various puzzle boxes and diagrams depicting various body parts as well as a chalkboard with mysterious writings on it. So after hearing Kersey's tale, Chenard has the mattress Julia died on brought to his home. And at this point, Kyle witnesses Chenard at one point after he is uh, snooping around. He can't afford to get caught. So he sees the doctor bring back a deranged patient. Uh, lays down on the bloodstained mattress, then proceeds to cut himself deeply with the straight-edged razor. And I think it was kind of the razor like they used to use in the old days for shaving in the barber shop, says what it looks like. The resulting blood flow frees Julia from hell as it did with Frank in, in the first film, and through Julia's physical form, uh, she appears immediately whole, albeit without her skin. Due to the amount of blood Kyle watches in horror, um, just totally petrified what he witnesses. While all the screaming is going on, he actually sneaks out a side door from behind a curtain. So, Tiffany is this young girl who was brought in, uh, who hasn't spoken for years, uh, due to a trauma she endured involving her mother. And, um, so Chenard brings Julia more corpses for her to beat on and slowly reforms her body as she gets her skin back. So Julia instructs Chenard to have Tiffany open a gateway to hell by having her solve the limit configuration. 
so she could show Chenard the sights of the labyrinth. So Kyle goes back and informs Kirsty about what he saw, and he now believes her. They go to the house together, and Kirsty finds a picture of Captain Elliot Spencer, which, as uh, many know that know the franchise, that was actually pinhead in human form. And I believe I also covered that in a previous podcast. But Kyle ends up going to the attic, where he discovers grisly remains of several bodies, and Julia, now completely regenerated, appears and kills him, consuming his essence and completing her regeneration. Percy hears the commotion and rushes up to the attic in the form of a loud thud and walks in on the scene. Uh, Kersey attacks Julia, but is knocked unconscious. So, Chenard basically kidnaps Tiffany, and he and Julia use her as a proxy or medium, whatever you want to call it, to unlock the Lament Configuration puzzle box. An heir of the world of Pinhead and the other Cenobites, Heroes learned that the act of opening the Lament Configuration is in and of itself uh, not exactly a reason to be targeted by the Cenobites. Um, Pinhead says it's not hands that called him but desire so they go after Chenard because they know that it was his desire to open the box and that Tiffany was just a uh, unwilling victim uh, unknowing victim rather so um, when Kersey enters Chenard's office she finds a box Tiffany had and tries frantically to return to normal configuration. It's misshapen from the And the Cenobites find her, and then seizes the opportunity to change the box to more complex configuration and lock open the doors of the labyrinth. So Pinhead tells Kersey she is free to explore the maze, but they'll be waiting to capture so, Chenard, he's transformed his Cenobite. His first words were, and to think I hesitated. And then this, uh, this, uh, contraption, which can be seen in the beginning. Uh, it's a spinning thing. Uh, an instrument used, I guess, in, uh, his, whatever he does, his, uh, procedures. And... <laughs> It actually attaches to the head and spins around, and he is officially in Cenobite form at this moment, uh, when that happens. Uh, actually, uh, and Leviathan, uh, it says here that he, uh, it's in the form of an elongated lozenge rotating in space above the labyrinth and emits black beams, which makes Chenard remember some of the uh, atrocities he has committed. And Julia calls Leviathan God of Flesh, Hunger, and Desire, the Lord of the Labyrinth. Julia betrays Chenard to the Labyrinth to be turned into a Cenobite, revealing that she has a mission to bring souls to Leviathan, including Chenard's. So basically he was tricked by her. And so... Yeah, so basically, Chenard's blood at that moment is drained out, and 
um, the blue liquid just popped into him, turning his skin into a tint of blue. So at this point, he has been transformed into a Dr. Cenobite. So, um, yeah. It's a pretty uh, gnarly, gnarly thing. And so, it just seems like whenever they call forth the Cenobites and then they're shown the error of their ways and they shouldn't have opened the box, that all of a sudden things are very um, brutally, uh, I, I don't know, everything is like stuff gets real, basically. So, so the doctor's up. So basically, he's the one who ends up killing the Cenobites, uh, basically aiming their match. So, when they're all reminded they are human, uh, the doctor appears and basically, it's a very bizarre scene. And so Pinhead has these chains that uh, attach to the doctor, and he takes, uh, he actually produces these blades and cuts through the chains, breaking the links. And they fall down, and there's a showdown with the Cenobites. And all of these, uh, the Chatterer, Butterball, uh, Open Deep Throat, and Pinhead, are all reverting back into human form by way of some kind of ray that shoots out, and they're just gone after that, he thinks that he's been victorious, all that against the Cenobites. Um, so at the end of the movie, um, the hospital's unoccupied, so Kirsty and Tiffany actually escape the labyrinth and um, everything else, and all these mental patients each have a box of uh, element configuration and they're all solving the box and they lose their lives so the movie ends with Kirstie uh, and Tiffany actually walking away from the uh, hospital so there are these uh, movers that come in and they try to uh, remove things out of the doctor's house because obviously he doesn't live there anymore. They come across a bloodstained mattress. Uh, one of the guys bends down to examine it and two arms reach up out of the mattress and grab him. Then this spinning pillar comes up with uh, all these faces and then uh, this uh, dealer of the box ends up saying, What is your pleasure, sir? And that's where the movie ends. So, um, that is the notes on the Dr. Cinnabite. And, uh, quite the character. So of course, um, basically what we don't, uh, 
really, what I didn't know really, is that Kirsty is actually featured in Dead by Daylight under the category of Cenobites in this wiki. Basically, she is the girl caught in the middle of this whole thing. And there's actually a file here under the thing uh, in which it's depicting her as the uh, priestess of Helen. So basically, she did turn into a Cenobite um, for this. So her mother dies and all this. Let's see here. So basically, Frank's niece. And so, uh, Kirsty, of course, portrayed by the ever beautiful <laughs> Ashley Lawrence, who, by the way, is quite beautiful. Has a recurring role throughout the entire thing. Um, but yeah. Kirsty knew about the affair between uh, Frank and Julia, and how Julia basically couldn't stand her father a second more. He could have cared less about him. Turned to Frank, who was charming, and that scumbag essence to him. But basically, nobody really knows the backstory of her. So, um, she basically so basically she solves the box. She didn't know what she was doing. The Cenobites come and she makes a deal with them to give them Frank. She escapes and she outwits them. So she has this huge, um, huge ability to. Outwit, Pinhead, and the other Cenobites. So, she appears in the original Hellraiser, or she appears in Hellraiser 2, which we've already talked about. Hellraiser Hell on Earth. Um, she appears uh, when uh, in a video that was actually recorded, and they play that, and that's where she appears in Hell on Earth. In Hellseeker, uh, she's actually married and was originally thought to die in a car crash. Her husband ends up dying instead. And uh, she had opened the box again and when Pinhead appeared, she made a deal with him. Typical. She would bring him five souls in exchange for amnesty. Pinhead was immediately intrigued and agreed to her terms. The five souls that were of her husband, Trevor, his co-worker was playing to kill, uh, playing with him to kill Kirsty for the money, and the three women that Trevor had been cheating on her. So um, that's basically about Kirsty. Very short description, bio, all that. But what's um, what's interesting is that she was priestess of hell, and, um, hell priestess of hell's army, exact. So, she, um, 
you know, she was married and that uh, Hellseeker. Uh, her age was between 30 and 40. So, yeah, I mean, I, I always thought Kirstie was a very beautiful, delightful woman. Next up, we have the lead Cenobite, the lead Cenobite. Now, this is the uh, one that appears in the book, I believe, The Hellbound Heart. And it's described merely as the lead Cenobite. There was, uh, yeah, the Hellbound Heart. So this Cenobite was the leader of the others in the novella. Uh, this one didn't really appear in any of the films. Uh, but their place as uh, leader was taken by Pinhead, who we all know as Doug Bradley. So basically, Frank first encounters this uh, lead Cenobite. He had difficulty guessing the speaker's gender with any certainty, and it was a very ambiguous thing. There were, um, there was a black leather outfit shown to Druid skin. Uh, the genitalia covered, and of course, Frank was a very sexual uh, guy who was very fond of lust. So, there was nothing in the dregs of its voice or in its willfully disfigured features that offered the least clue when it spoke the hooks that transfixed the flaps of its eyes. system of chains that pass through the flesh and the bone of life to similar hooks through the lower lip were teased by the motion exposing the glistening meat beneath. So yes, that only appears in the Hellbound Heart novella, which started the whole thing as you know by now, courtesy of this podcast. Or maybe you knew before this podcast. So next up we have Pinhead. Now of course his original human form, Captain Elliot Spencer. So Doug Bradley portrayed Pinhead for most of the franchise. Um, but in Hellraiser Revelations, which is a Steven Smith Collins and voiced by Fred Tatasciore or Tatasciore. I don't know, sounds real Italian. Hellraiser Revelations. Paul T. Taylor in Hellraiser Judgment. Paul did a decent job, but still, we love and miss Doug Bradley very much. So, Pinhead is quite the essential character, obviously. Uh, the Hell Priest, 
as he's called. So obviously he has a massive part in this whole thing. So Penhead is quite the interesting one. So the Sabai known as Pinhead was once a human known as Elliot Spencer who was born in England during the Victorian era in 1887. As a young adult, he would join the British Army and later serve in France during World War I. So, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, he speaks and says to us, God fell Flanders 2. And that's when he appears as Captain Elliot Spencer in Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. During World War One, he served as Captain of the British Expeditionary Force. He was a charismatic and eloquent man feel great empathy and compassion for those around him. However, after participating in one of the battles of Flanders, which is where I quote came from, he loses faith in humanity after witnessing the inhumanity enacted upon one another. In turn, he also loses faith in God, whom he believed failed mankind at this point. So, he did not believe he had the right to live after watching many of his comrades perish in such horrific circumstances, suffering from the severe effects of PTSD, the disillusion of jaded Spencer, wandered the earth indulging in a hedonistic lifestyle, turning to the baser methods of gratification for satisfaction and pleasure, until finding the lament configuration in British India, and finally understanding the true pleasures of pain and suffering. In 2019, the residents of a suburban area called the Pension Manure were all activists who had dabbled in the works of hell. They all had to deal with the Cenobites as these servants of hell would inspire the artists through their dreams and the artists uh, would give their most perverse work to the Cenobites. Sometimes the Cenobites even required sacrifice of the flesh when Pinhead, uh, Gash up and throw a butterball and Sloth arrived for the, their latest sacrifice. Moss, uh, M.A.S. started to spew poetry and he successfully managed to convince Pinhead that an author and the director of the pension manure named Barsak would be much better and worthier sacrifice to hell. When Barsak was taken to hell, Moss was made the new director of the pension manure by the Cenobites. In 2091, the man named George is given the lament configuration, and a man wagers he can't solve it. When George does solve it, he is taken to hell by Pinhead, while George's wife Alma hides the bars. 1990, when a man named Davis Feldwebel uh, finds and opens the box Pinhead and the female Cenobite come to greet him. They help him in his quest to become a better artist by showing him the pleasures 
of deception. Together, they successfully transformed many people into pieces of art. Through manipulation of flesh, failed Bible thinks Pinhead and the female Cenobite. Only to be turned to a painting himself when the Cenobites make their move. So, uh, in the Pinhead series comics, uh, basically, there's all kinds of things about that. Uh, a lot of them to get into. Uh, 1991, the Puzzle Guardian, Winehead, threw a horse-turning Cassidy into hell. Uh, it was greeted by Pinhead, the female Cenobite Butterball. Pinhead was ordered by Leviathan to make Cassidy a Cenobite. So Pinhead summoned a creation chamber and had Butterball throwing Cassidy and the three Cenobites stood outside the creation chamber to listen to his screams. So, um, there's a lot to Pinhead, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, these are about the comics, obviously. Hellraiser, Nightbreed, Jihad. There are a lot of these. Basically, the films, um, Hellraiser, Hellraiser 2, Hellraiser 3, Hellraiser 4. Basically, all these that are broken down, a Hellseeker debtor was an interesting one. And, uh, or Salvan Hart. And the Scarlet Gospels, he appears in that as well. So, Pinhead's design is basically, uh, it was Clive's design and was seen on the Hellbound t shirts. There are a lot of discussions with Clive. This is uh, from Games Without Frontiers by Brian J. Rob Fear, number six, May and June of 1989. So first, we just had spikes coming out of his head. I wanted to be more geometrical. Originally, he had pins all over his head, but Clive and I thought it would be nice to make it look more like a mask with pins around his chin, over his ears, and the back of his head. We modified it about six times and did loads of drawings. If you look at the first test pictures that came out of Hellraiser, there are actually pens in there rather than nails. And the pens got lost, you couldn't see them, so we clipped the ends of the pens and made our own hollow brass nails and inserted over the top. And they were much more visible. So, Barker, who is a genius, Drew inspiration for the Cenobite designs from punk fashion, Catholicism, and visits to s and clubs in New York and Amsterdam. For Pinhead specifically, Barker drew inspiration from African fetish sculptures, whatever those are. Initially, Barker intended Pinhead to have a navel piercing, implying that the character had genital piercings. Barker's original Hell Priest sketches Pinhead were eventually adapted into an officially licensed mask by Composite Effects to be released in limited quantity to the public on the 24th of March 2017, which was done in celebration of the 30th anniversary of Hellraiser. After he secured funding in 1986, Barker and his producer Chris Figg assembled a team to design the Cinevisor. Among the team was Bob Keen and Jeff Wardos. Uh, 
Portas, I think, and image animation Jane Wildgoose, a costume designer who was requested to make a series of costumes for four to five quote unquote super butchers while refining the scarification designs uh, with image animation. In terms of lighting, Pinhead was designed so that the shadows would swirl around his head, and by July of 1986, the shooting script possibly identified a single Pinhead Cenobite from the earlier draft as clearly the leader. So, in Judgment, which by the way is an amazing film, they updated Pinhead's appearance from the original films, uh, Gary J. Tuncliffe, which, by the way, has worked on numerous movies. Uh, very amazing, uh, talented makeup artists. Uh, but he says, this is a very no-nonsense pinhead, no blip one-liners. He's a little leaner and a little meaner. We especially tried to incorporate this into the makeup and costume. The cuts are deeper, the pins are a little longer, his eyes are completely black, and wardrobe is a little sleeker and more visceral. Someone on set described him as the ultra-cool version of Pinhead. The flesh exposed on Pinhead's chest was redesigned as a rhombus and iron Pinhead's master. The fictional character Leviathan, so a lot of uh, a lot of thought went into that. So, memorable quotes. Uh, the box opened it, we came. And also, tears, please. It is a waste of good suffering. And then, of course, um, you'll tell yourself And so, he had a lot of interesting uh, things. Uh, in Hellseeker, he says, Welcome to the worst nightmare of all, reality. That was a very dramatic part of the uh, but yeah, some trivia points for you. In the first few films, Pinhead did not have a name. He was titled Lead Cenobite. It was the fans who conceived the name Pinhead. And Clyde Barker actually disliked this. Uh, he was, however, referred to Pinhead in the script in Hellraiser 3 by Joey Summerskill as an insult. So Pinhead was originally an insult. Um, Despite being an iconic villain of the franchise, he is rarely the main antagonist, and uh, he is, however, the main antagonist of Scarlet Gospels. Doug Bradley said in an interview that he could see where the people were actually the monsters and not Pinhead, which makes a lot of sense. But yeah, um, it just, I never knew that Clyde Barker disliked the term Pinhead. Uh, but yeah. And of course, uh, there was supposed to be a Pinhead versus Michael in uh, light of the success of the Freddy versus Jason. So, a uh, very big, very big part of the franchise. Uh, and. I have to say, my most favorite of all. What's next? Pinhead also appears in Dead by Daylight. 
Um, next we have Piston Head. This is the next last set of Bible cover. This is going to be well over an hour long. So Piston Head, um, for those who do not know, um, this comes from Hellraiser 3 Hell on Earth and it was J.P. Monroe. Now in case you didn't know, J.P. Monroe um, is a guy who on that club and seduce women and all that. So basically, J.P. Monroe was a son of two wealthy aristocrats who showed him very little affection. At some point during his early adolescence, Monroe killed both his parents and inherited their fortune. He then invested this fortune in the Boiler Room Club, which is a multi-purpose venue, and incorporating a nightclub, live music venue, strip joint, and restaurant classy, right? So, he was a vain and cruel misogynist. He used women and everything, preyed on the vulnerable, and he had this on-again, off-again relationship with Terry. It was a brief fling. Uh, he had a brief fling, rather, with the slightly ditzy Sandy, whom he basically uses. And after they're done, tells her to leave. She stumbles across the Pillar of Souls, which he has accumulated uh, from this dealer. He wants something to decorate or something. And he has quite the interesting room. So basically, Sandy sees the Pillar of Souls and sees Penhead, who devours her. Yeah, and so uh, J.P. Monroe is obviously shocked and like takes his gun and like fires at Pinhead, who spits the bullets back out at him. And uh, Pinhead had taunted him. He said, "That is a gun you used to kill your parents with, isn't it?" So yeah. So basically, he makes a pact with Penhead to bring souls to the pillar for Penhead to devour. And he wanted to become like a sidekick to Penhead. And of course, he is told that there's ecstasy within the realms of hell and all this. So basically, Penhead like betrays JP when he unsuccessfully attempts to bring his ex-girlfriend, Terry, to the pillar. Pinhead spears two pistons through J.P.'s head and turns him into a cinnabite. J.P. described the experience as better than sex. Which, you know, is kind of typical of this guy, I guess. So, Piston Head has two pistons impaled through his skull, both of which move back and forth through the wounds. He has stitches in his head minor cuts on his body. So basically, when he bought the uh, statue in which Pinhead was placed, he bought a lot of trouble. And he accidentally uh, brought Pinhead back to life by sticking his hand through the statue and being bitten by a rat, in which the blood splattered onto the statue, flowed into the mouth of Pinhead. There's a pattern forming in which these Cenobites are brought back 
to, uh, to, or these these people are brought back to life. In this case, the Cenobite is brought back to life by blood. Uh, Frank and Julia were brought back to life by blood. Now Pinhead is reanimated by the blood of Jamie. So, when Pinhead is basically had a skin that Sandy girl that he had used, uh, he is, he realizes that Pinhead is indeed alive, and says evil, uh, he calls Pinhead evil, and Pinhead says, you know, well, that's such an easy word to say for you, that's a gun you used to murder your parents, isn't it? So, So JP thinks Penhead is going to bring him a new life. He agreed to bring another woman into the room from Miss Terry. Tried to drag her to Penhead, but she hit him with her brass knuckles, and he is pushed toward Penhead, who pushed a piston into his head, turning him into a Cenobite. And that's just crazy. So yes, piston head. Piston head. Yeah. Quite the interesting guy. And last but not least, we have the engineer from Dead by Daylight. Now, as you recall, this engineer obviously is going to be very different from the engineer that was in Inferno. The engineer in Inferno was that doctor who then turns into Pinhead. Um, and of course, the engineer was behind all these different things. The child's finger being cut off by the murder scene. And so, Joseph Thorne, the cop, uh, and I think he vows to find the killer. Ends up finding the engineer, but is told, not the engineer, and the engineer will find you. So, there you have it. The Cenobites listed on Hellraiser Wiki from D to the end. So this second, uh, this second part of the list was somewhat easier due to the fact that the uh, a majority of them were from the films. So yes, that's a pretty. It was a pretty easy deal. Uh, I want to take a moment to plug two other podcasts, Azrael King Cafe's Orange Travaganza. There is going to be a pre-Halloween special. Find my notes here. I can't find my notes. Right there they are. So yes, the uh, Azrael King Cafe's Orange Travaganza and 666 Shock Avenue will be running pre-Halloween specials. The one for 666 Shock Avenue will be tomorrow. That's Saturday. And um, Monday will be Azrael King Bay of Horror Extravaganza's uh, Halloween special, or pre Halloween special. So it's the season for Fright, so definitely you want to tune in for that. And don't miss it. 
because there's going to be usual things covered. Um, there will be featured on the shows uh, excerpts from the Encyclopedia of Hell, along with some other spooky uh, Halloween reading and all that. So you'll not want to miss that. Uh, you can find them on Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Anchor, etc. Anywhere you find this podcast, you can find those podcasts as well. Yeah, that's going to be it for this episode of Salem Gray Straight Jacket Cafe. My thanks once again to Hellraiser and Fandom And make sure you check out their site. They're good. They're very, very good. You can find pretty much anything that is film related or TV related. So yeah, check it out. I'm sure there's a nightmare on Elm Street section there too. So, I hope that you all have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. I'm going to return with another episode next Wednesday, I believe, and I'll have subsequent episodes, or at least try to. Um, I actually make that Tuesday, so the 26th or 31st, you'll be getting back-to-back episodes. The 31st, I have something very special planned, obviously, for Halloween. So, definitely tune in if you'll want to catch that. And, uh, please, please be safe um, this Halloween as well. There are a lot of uh, people out there that think it's a great idea to get behind the wheel after a few drinks or whatever else they may do recreational purposes. So, if you are impaired, call a cab. Do not go to jail. Do not pay thousands of dollars. Do not get a lawyer. Save yourself the hassle. A cab ride is a lot cheaper than losing your freedom, uh, which is more costly than anything else. And I imagine that if you don't heed my advice, then you'll see I was right. And if you think you won't get caught with a DWI or anything else, eventually. And uh, never say never, because it could always happen. And just be safe out there. If you take your kids trick-or-treating, please observe the safety rules. Uh, I realize that, you know, dressing in black is part of some costumes. Have something that enables the kids to be seen in the neighborhoods because those things are not lit very brightly. And then, of course, mix it with the people who think it's a great idea to drive impaired. And you've got a lot of heartache around the corner. So, I mean, you know, just please make sure that you keep an eye on things. Make sure you keep an eye on your kids. you know, of course, the basic Halloween safety tips, don't let them enter a stranger's home and all this, you know, uh, don't let the person say, come in and pet my black cat Loki or whatever, you know, just be careful and use your head. And, uh, I mean, Halloween is a great night for people to take advantage of others and do some rather detestable things to animals and whatnot. 
So, you know, also keep your black cat, keep your animals inside. Especially cats, because they're targeted. And, uh, you know, just keep an eye out on things around the way. If you see something, say something. Don't be afraid to. And, you know, everyone's safety should be everybody's concern and responsibility. So please, 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 uh, be mindful, be wary, and be vigilant. And that's all the time we have on Salem Gray's Straight Jacket Cafe. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I will see you Tuesday. And, uh, uh, just, uh, take care of yourselves and enjoy your weekend. Have a good one. to thank you for tuning in to yet another installment of Salem Grace Straight Jacket Cafe. Have you been enjoying your journey through Leviathan's Labyrinth? Through the history of the ins and outs, as well as the well-known facts of the Hellraiser legacy? If so, rate us five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review. Email us, realmofnightmares at mail.com. Tell us how we're doing and what you would like to see on the show. Also, to show your ultimate appreciation for $3, $5, or, oh, even $10 a month, you can get access to perks, exclusive offers, and even get a chance to be a co-host on Salem Gray's Straight Jacket Cafe. All you have to do is go to Patreon and look up Adventurous Insanity. And for $3, $5, or $10 a month, see what sites we will show you. This podcast was sponsored by DVDs, Games, and More in Lawton, Oklahoma, and Heritage Plaza. Inside Vintage Edition, across the street from Billy Sims Barbecue, in the 1800 block of West Moore. Like our social media page on Facebook at Salem Gray Street Jacket Cafe. This podcast was recorded at 61366 Studios, located in Lawton, Oklahoma. This has been a production of Straight Jacket for Two Productions, copyright 2021, by Straight Jacket for Two Productions and Salem Gray. Until next time, don't open the box.